Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to someone who has kicked up the dust on the status quo in the veteran employment ecosystem. What is that? Well, after leaving the military in 2015, our guest started a nonprofit partnership with the state of Indiana that today makes up the core of Indiana's Next Level Veterans Initiative. Coming to us live from Indiana, please welcome Executive Director at InVets, Westwood. Hello, Wes. Hi, KJ. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. So people are going the uh, veteran employment ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. So before we get into that, because this has been the area that you've been disrupting, innovating, changing the status quo. I want you to tell me what is your main ingredient to disruption? Sure. So I think uh, the main ingredient might differ depending on the situation uh, given, but for situation uh, here in Indiana that I found myself in back in 2015, I think the main ingredient was uh, listening. You know, it was taking the time to not just formulate my own opinion about what needed to change and what needed to happen, but, but throw that, you know, initial idea against people that were already in the space, um, you know, other key stakeholders to figure out where my perception might be off, where opportunities really were, you know, I think a lot of times people have a perception, uh, a really valuable perception of, of where opportunities are, but maybe they aren't the ones operating in that space. They don't have the time to go after, you know, finding out the full solution. So really gathering up all those pieces, uh, listening and finding collaborate, finding collaborators was probably what made the biggest difference in getting our organization off the ground here in Indiana. So, so you said listening, really listening that that involves taking time, mm -hmm. right? Cause yeah. sometimes you need something to be done right? And you do have, you had an idea of what needed to be done, but you had the mental wherewithal enough to know that you weren't the only stakeholder in this space and you needed to listen, right? Why is that? Like, how does that apply to the veteran employment ecosystem? Yeah. So, so most veteran oriented, whether nonprofit state agencies that are traditionally staffed by veterans, people have gone through the, the process themselves. At one point they were in the military and at one point they had to make the jump um, to whatever comes next, whatever civilian, civilian job comes next. And so there's obvious inefficiencies and problems with that transition to anyone that's gone through it. Um, it's really easy to, to poke holes in it, to formulate opinions. You know, I think uh, I was still in the military. I already had a long list of things that I, I wish were different. Um, but I knew, you know, I think I had the benefit of not being uh, very high of rank uh, or of experience. So I wasn't thrown into a position. Somebody didn't walk up to me day one and say, hey, you know, here's a bunch of money or here's a program, go make it happen. Um, I was kind of forced based on my kind of junior status coming out to take a step back, you know, kind of work my way up the ladder on the nonprofit side 
um, and really not even in the veteran space, more in the economic development space to really see it from a completely new angle, see it from the economic development angle, from the workforce development angle, and really see how there are all these stakeholders that traditionally don't even have a, uh, a major active role in the veteran transition process that do have an interest, that do have, there's, there's unlocked value that they're missing out on uh, by not being a part of that process. And so, um, and so, yeah, it probably took me a year, year and a half of, you know, I think uh, the first conversation I had with my first boss at that non-veteran focused nonprofit, I pitched him the basic concept of InVets and he shot it down right away. He said, yeah, I'll never work. You know, there's these five reasons. Um, and it took, you know, a year, year and a half of me learning the, the industry and the ecosystem to be able to frame the, the concept in a different way, in a way that made sense and really aligned the value propositions in a way that was sustainable. So tell me, uh, yeah, so tell me what the existing veteran employment ecosystem, what the status mm -hmm. quo has been like. And then I'm going to ask you about those yeah. five points that InVets brings to the table, right? But tell me the status quo, because I really am ignorant about it. I think I know. But we're talking about uh, taking veterans, right, that have come out of the military, that are coming out of the military, and transitioning them into the workforce and civilian life, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you're not alone in not, not being familiar with this process. Um, one of the challenges that people getting out of the military face is that the military tends to be very concentrated. You know, all the people that are in the military are concentrated around these key military installations. They're not evenly distributed throughout the whole country. And so most folks don't actually interact with anybody currently serving in the military um, to, you know, to be aware of it. But every year between two and 300,000 people do make that transition. They leave active duty service and enter the civilian sector, and there are a whole host of issues they face. So one is issue- Is that, that all over the country, two to 300,000 every year? This is in the US. Correct. And, and it ebbs and flows based on, you know, uh, who's, in, who's in the White House, what, are, what current conflicts are going on, um, what the strategy is for those conflicts, you know, it ebbs and flows, but on average, two to 300,000, uh, at least over the last 10 years or so. And so uh, it's not an insignificant number. It's not you know, a massive number. It's not millions, but it's definitely a significant number. And a lot of these folks joined the military when they were 18 years old or maybe 22 years old. But in either case, they usually don't have any civilian work experience, significant experience when they enter the military. So now they're getting out. And for the first time, they're trying to write a resume. They're trying to figure out uh, what it is they want to do on the civilian sector. You know, I was in the infantry. There's almost no demand for a lot of the things I learned in the military within the civilian sector. And so I had to figure out, you know, what did I do that was valuable in the military? What skills, what experience did I gain that was valuable? And, and how do I want to apply that into a civilian job? Um, and so, uh, so, you know, one challenge is you get out or, you know, you're stationed at a military base in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you have to pick a place, you know, where am I going to go to start my civilian career? Uh, maybe it's back home, but I've already left home. So I've kind of broken that seal and, you know, maybe I want to try somewhere new. And when I do some try somewhere new, you know, I could look at a job board for that, that geographic area and there might be a hundred thousand jobs posted, but trying to translate what a job description says into something that makes sense to someone leaving the military is very tricky. You know, I, I had the benefit, I had a bachelor's degree uh, before I joined the military. And when I got out, I still didn't know what most of the finance related jobs uh, job titles actually look like in real life. If I'd enjoy them, what the long-term, uh, you know, career outlook was, that type of thing. 
Um, and so it's this huge, this huge stressful guessing game and it's all condensed into a very short time period trying to figure this all out. Uh, and then you've got to, you know, make your move and, uh, and hope for the best. That's, that's how it typically goes. That's how it typically goes. And when you say it's condensed into this very short time period, is that because they just have to find a job? Is it because the window of opportunity for whoever is going to help them in this ecosystem, that is their timeline? Like paint that for me. Sure. So it, it varies a little bit individual to individual, um, but there's this thing called the transition assistance program. So it's a uh, congressionally mandated program that everybody has to go through when they leave the military. It's a week long workshop that theoretically teaches you a lot of these things, teaches you how to write a resume and look for a job and translate skills. And that course is offered uh, up to 18 months before someone leaves the military. Um, however, I can tell you from experience, uh, the military is a very high demanding, uh, fast paced job. You know, it's eight to 12 hour days on a normal day when you're not deployed, when you're not out in the field. Um, and so, you know, trying to squeeze in this week long thing in the middle of your, your work cycle, it's usually sits on the back burner. I know for me, I went through it probably six to eight months before I got out of the military. Uh, and it was just a check the box thing. They throw all this information at you and say, okay, this, you're talking about something that's going to happen in eight months. Me, I had 60 days of vacation days saved up. So I'm like, all right, I've got 60 days at the end where I'm still going to collect a paycheck or I can go find a job. I'll be fine. 60 days is more than enough time to figure out where I'm going to move and what I'm going to do and, and all of that. Right. Um, and, so, and that's, that's the boat that a lot of folks, uh, a lot of folks are in, uh, you know, your job doesn't stop being your job while you're trying to, trying to figure all of this out. And so, you get to that 60 days and all of a sudden things get real, really fast and you've got to, you've got to figure something out. So that program, while it's was set up to be beneficial, I mean, a week long is Mm -hmm. seems to be woefully inept, right? I mean, you're, you're transitioning to a second life, right? Another life. You have to figure out what you want to do. And you've been out of the employment ecosystem, not just for veterans, but you've just been out of the ecosystem for employment for, you know, however long, right? So now you're transitioning over. And is that the only thing that's available for veterans? It's the only official thing that's available. There are other programs uh, that pop up from time to time that are part of the Department of Defense. But uh, other than that, it's, it's primarily nonprofits like us. That, that try and plug that gap. And so what is the status quo as far as like the nonprofit sector that really works on this veteran employment ecosystem? Is it all disparate? Does the veteran just really have to know how to research and find on Google someone to help them because there's no network to figure that out? Like, what's that like? Yeah. So I'd say they probably break down into two different approaches. So, uh, and, and one key issue throughout all of this is just the problem of scale, right? So, you know, two to 300,000 people, how are you going to, you know, each one has their own story, their own experience within the military, their own skill set. Um, there's no organization or program that can, that can fully handle the problem for an individual. They're going to have to take individual ownership. So one approach is to say, okay, we're going to have, um, you know, we're going to have some online workshops. We're going to host career fairs. We're going to have some, you know, veteran-focused job boards. And so there, there are some big national-level programs that make a lot of connections. But you still, a lot of times, run into that issue of uh, 
of trying to figure out exactly where your skills align or where they align best. And then oftentimes those national programs, understandably so, focus on population dense areas. So if you want to move to uh, San Diego, if you want to move to major metropolitan area, they've got resources, they've got programs there. If you want to move to Indiana, Kentucky, you know, somewhere that's not as dense of a population, you might be, you might be, uh, you know, hard pressed to find any sort of program that really has roots in that area. So that's one approach is kind of the big, you know, inch deep, mile wide across the country approach um, to making connections. And the other approach is uh, kind of the opposite, you know, the deep dive case management. There are programs out there where they'll hook you up with a counselor who's going to sit there and talk you through every step of the process. Um, and the problem with that is, is just scale, you know, from a programmatic standpoint, how are you going to have enough case managers to handle two to 300,000 people that have the connections everywhere in the country? Um, and so, and so that's where we've, we've differentiated a little bit is we've kind of taken the middle road. So we, uh, we maybe go an inch deep and a mile wide, but just for the state of Indiana, we've got connections in every community throughout the state. Uh, we leverage other nonprofits. So other nonprofits, other state agencies to really expand our reach and get that deep dive help for those that need it. But for the 80% of veterans that don't want or need the deep dive help, they just want some basic, you know, point me in the right direction, give me some, some company connections. We've built a, a robust web tool that allows people to connect. You know, they can go on, create a profile, connect with recruiters all over the state and, and access kind of a second door into the hiring process that's specific for veterans. Wow. So you have a, an ability to scale, but also do the deep dive into that 20% that actually need it. And right. is that, so what did you find was missing when you did listening and you decided I'm going to talk to these other stakeholders that have a vested interest in it, but they typically get left out maybe in the process, mm -hmm. right? What did you do? How, what did you listen? Where did you figure, how did you figure that out? So, um, so the organization I worked for when I first left the military focused on economic development issues for the state of Indiana. So they, their whole mission was to try and figure out what the choke points were that were holding back our state's economy and create collaborative solutions to address those issues. So they'd, they'd leverage uh, government entities and dollars with, not, with philanthropic funding with local companies to try and figure out solutions where, you know, sometimes it might not make sense for one entity to tackle a problem, but when you combine everyone, it does. And so I got to talk to a lot of companies, you know, giant companies like, um, like Toyota here in Indiana. So they've got 13,000 people on site at their Princeton location. Uh, they make the Highlander and the Sequoia um, and, and, you know, they do a lot of great work and they've got really high paying jobs and training programs and all this great stuff. And you know, I talked to their people and say, we, we just can't find enough, enough employees. And I'd ask them, you know, what are you doing to connect with people getting out of the military? Because if you had talked to me at the right point in time, you could have gotten me to come take these jobs. I didn't know about it. And they said, well, we love veterans. We hire every veteran that walks through the door. We just don't get that many that walk through the door. And I'd say, well, you're in Princeton, Indiana. No one knows you're here. You know, you've got a military base an hour and a half down the road. I guarantee nobody on that base even knows you exist. At least, at least not here in Indiana. Um, but it doesn't make sense for a company like that to stand up their own recruitment team, to you know, hire staff to go travel down to that military base once a week. And maybe they talk to one person a week that wants to come work for them. The ROI just isn't there. But you know, having talked to enough of these companies that, that all had the same problem and were interested in hiring veterans, it, the ROI does start to make sense when you pool these companies, when you, you basically do what we do and create a shared 
resource of veteran recruiters that goes out on behalf of the state. Uh, and rather than asking these recruiters to go travel to bases, we travel to bases and bring all interested veterans to them through our digital uh, portal, uh, serve them up, and then they can recruit without ever having to leave their desk. That's kick ass. So tell me, do you have any stories of people that you've been able to connect like with Toyota or some of these other big employers? Yeah. Tell me, I want to hear. Yeah. So one, one guy that stands out, um, is a, a guy that his last job was actually in the army band, which I had never met anybody in any sort of band position in the military before I met this guy. Uh, awesome guy. He spent 20 years in the military. He rose up to a senior leadership position within the army band, um, and then went to transition and they were, he was leaving, uh, I think it was Virginia. He was leaving like the DC area. And, um, you know, you think I have a hard time trying to figure out how to translate infantry skills. You know, he, he played in the band. So how does he translate that into the business world? Right. Um, and so he was having those same struggles. So we, we were able to connect him. Uh, he attended a lot of our online workshops, uh, went to a lot of our online career fairs. We ended up connecting him with a number of companies. He got to, you know, interviewed with multiple companies and ended up taking a project management uh, role with a uh, biopharmaceutical manufacturer here in Indiana in a town that has about 30,000 people in it. But he makes great money and, and lives in a beautiful part of the state. And he never would have known about that company or come in t- contact with that job if it hadn't been for an organization like us. That's a great story. So he goes from band to project manager at a chemical company. Mm-hmm. It, is that kind of part of the status quo? Is the it's not even a misunderstanding, it's just a lack of understanding of the types of jobs that people have coming out of the military, mm-hmm. like who would have thought like the ban, like 20 years leadership position in the band. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big deal, but how does that translate? Yeah. And it takes, you know, we talk to a lot of executives that, that get it right. That get how a lot of these skills can be translated from the military into civilian sector. So like this guy, for example, from the band, he managed all of their trips. So they're traveling constantly all over the country. He has to, you have to arrange travel, you have to arrange accommodations, you have to manage the logistics of getting all of their equipment all over the place. You have to coordinate with all these event staff. It is project management, but on the surface, if you were to put out a job, you know, a, a posting for a, a project manager, you're gonna get, if you got 10 resumes, they're all going to look very similar. You know, mm-hmm. they're all going to have the same, uh, you know, PMP certification, this very similar previous experience. And you've got this guy that was in the band, you know, so the easy answer, if you're a recruiter is to just go with one of the normal ones and not take the time to really understand what that individual brings to the table. Um, so it, and it with takes the wealth more- of the military's like, I mean, like the communication and logistical force that the military mm-hmm. is the fact that he did all of that for the band, you'd have to have some sort of insight into that to even know, or even mm-hmm. care to know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Maybe they just Absolutely. don't know what they don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't fault them necessarily. They just don't know what they don't know. And so that's where we're able to come in and we usually identify a kind of a champion within the HR department, somebody that does get it where when we get a veteran that's interested in a company, we can introduce them to this champion and say, hey, look, this guy's interested in this job. Uh, and they can talk to the hiring managers. They can kind of advocate for them if it's a good fit and, and hopefully break through some of those barriers. 
So who are the stakeholders that have been typically left out of this ecosystem, but really do have a vested interest? It's the employers, mm-hmm. right? It's the employers and, um, and it's the folks that work on economic and workforce development. You know, if, if you're looking at a state's economy and right now, so Indiana for over 10 years has been struggling with workforce development. Our economy, our economic growth has been outpacing our population growth. I've heard that about the Midwest. And mm-hmm. is, it, is it just Indiana or is it other states in the Midwest? It's other states as well. And COVID-19 really expanded it outside of the Midwest uh, as well. Um, but you can go in just about any single any single major company in Indiana, any single county, and they've got open jobs that they can't fill, uh, lots of open jobs that they can't fill. And so from an economic development, from a state leadership perspective, if your major employers can't fill, uh, fill seats in their companies, and then it comes time for them to grow, time to expand, time to build new facilities, what are the odds that they're going to build it here? Or are they going to go chase people wherever the people are? And so it makes sense you know, to, to invest in programs like ours to, to try and increase, try and proactively reach outside your state's borders, make sure that people know about all the opportunities in the communities uh, within your, your state or your region. So it's the state workforce development that was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, had a vested interest. They were typically left out in the past um, and employers. So I guess those would be the early adopters to this type of innovation of connecting veteran now civilians with the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, uh, you know, this is like totally an aside, but I was thinking about it because of the remote workforce and how COVID was such a catalyst for that. How does that impact what you're doing? It, we do see a lot of people that are trying to find remote work now. Uh, we see a lot of people that are trying to find remote work. It, it, makes, it, it makes for a really great opportunity for military spouses uh, specifically. So one population that often gets overlooked are spouses of people in the military. So, you know, let's say, let's say you have a law degree and uh, your spouse is in the military and they're stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So, you know, Clarksville, Tennessee is right outside Fort Campbell. And, uh, you know, what are the odds that there's going to be a law firm that wants to hire a lawyer knowing they're only going to live there for about two years before their spouse gets moved to some other part of the country? Right. So oftentimes you get military spouses that are kind of stuck in these, these small rural communities where the job market doesn't quite meet their qualifications and, and they end up having a resume that looks like they hopped jobs every year or two. Um, and it's, you know, kind of this patchwork of different experiences. And so working remote uh, is a great opportunity for spouses to be able to, to land that steady job that they're actually qualified for and take that, you know, wherever their, their spouse uh, needs to go. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't even think about military spouses at all mm-hmm. whatsoever. So this is another big part of InVets that you guys can help with. Yeah. So our program is, is hundred percent open just as much to military spouses as the, the veterans themselves. Um, but even outside of our organization, it's just a huge untapped workforce that has previously gone, you know, underutilized, if utilized at all, um, that as companies start to adapt more and, and op- become more open-minded towards remote work, uh, they really, I think you'll see more and more taking a hard look at that population. Yeah, absolutely. Who would, who would you say are reticent to, I mean, I get who the early adopters are on this particular way that you're, you know, shaking up the veteran employment ecosystem, but who are still reticent to get on board with this um, way of scaling it as you've been doing it? 
So is it a loaded question? <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think of where to start. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there are, uh, there are definitely veterans that are, that are hesitant. There are some that do want somebody to do all the work for them. They want that person that's going to, you know, that they can tell their background to, and they're going to say, great, here's your job, go take it. Um, and so, you know, not, it's not the majority by any means, but there's a certain percentage of veterans that we do have to kind of, kind of nudge towards taking control of their own destiny. And, you know, we'll give you the tools, the resources, the connections, but you do have to actually walk through the door yourself. Um, on the other side of that, you know, one of the key things that's plagued the veteran ecosystem for, well, for years is, uh, collaboration. So there are a lot of nonprofits, you know, the nonprofit world is very competitive. Uh, everyone's going after, you know, a certain amount of dollars that are given out by veteran focused, uh, foundations, endowments, entities, and so, you know, a lot of times what you see is, is organizations trying to elbow each other out, not collaborating. You know, I want to count that as my win, you know, so I can tout it to get more funding, that type of thing. And that's one thing we've spent a lot of time here in Indiana on is trying to get everyone to work together. And, and it took a little bit, but we've, we've been fairly successful at it. We've, we've given, given presentations nationally uh, to other states on how to create a collaborative ecosystem. But it's something that I can see being an issue in, in a lot of states for those states that are trying to stand up a similar initiative. That's really interesting. So it's a collaborative ecosystem has been part of it. We, we don't have the band, like, we don't have the ability or luxury. It's not even a luxury anymore to have this non-collaboration anymore. Um, like for instance, in healthcare, right? Telehealth, right? Now all these like disparate um, systems have to communicate with each other, right? Whereas before they've been siloed mm -hmm. in your case, right? It's the veteran ecosystem. How have you been able to get the collaboration? What's the, what's the carrot? What's the incentive? Well, it depends on the organization. Um, for us, one of the key issues with veteran organizations is reaching and actually engaging with the population they're trying to engage with. And so you get these, these organizations that might specialize in a certain type of service, uh, and yet they spend a lot of their time just on outreach, just trying to get people to engage with them, trying to get veterans to walk through the door. And so that's where we try and position ourselves. That's kind of the top of the funnel for the state of Indiana. So we've got uh, just this past year alone, we've signed up almost 4,000 veterans from around the country that are interested in coming to Indiana and, and seeking employment. Um, and while we might provide that connection to the employer, we also want to connect those veterans with, you know, all the other resources and organizations that we think offer value. And so we can, we can operate as that funnel uh, directly to these organizations so that they can focus specifically on the services they provide rather than trying to, trying to get people to walk through the door. And that in turn gives them better metrics to get better funding. Yeah. And also I don't think veterans have the ability to find all of these particular yeah. programs and nonprofits out there. I mean, there's so many from just the study and stuff that I have done. That's part of the issue. They mm -hmm. just don't know about them. Right. It's hundred percent. Correct. Right. Tens of thousands. Yeah. 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 So uh, does this, is this where that 20% comes in the deep dive, some of these other nonprofits that can handle certain things? Yeah, absolutely. So, so those, those almost 4,000 veterans, uh, our staff, is only six full-time people. And, uh, and three of those make up our veteran engagement team that are out there uh, bringing folks into our system. And so they just don't have the capacity to, uh, you know, they'd try and set up a phone call with every single veteran. 
that signs up, but they don't have the capacity to help them write their resume and all of that. And the good thing is we don't need to. We've got great partner organizations that already have raised the funding to hire and train the staff to do that. And so rather than recreate the wheel, uh, we just you know make that direct referral over and, and allow those other organizations to take it from there. So these are the guys that actually need the handholding. And yep. the other 80% can go through the technological funnel and they have mm-hmm. particular touch points along the way that, um, you know, helps guide them and so forth. How does that work? Yeah. So we've got, we've got a portion of our website that, uh, is about Indiana, about different regions with Indiana, individual communities, that type of thing. So if someone's looking at the area, they can see the difference between Northern and Southern Indiana and all that good stuff. We've got a different portion of our website that allows for career exploration, you know, it, uh, it talks about, you know, what key industries are, you know, people, when you hear manufacturing, a lot of people, you know, have an image that pops in their head, you know, these giant smokestacks and, you know, a bunch of people sitting on a line doing the same, you know, turning the same nut over and over and over again all day long. Uh, in reality, it, it often looks very, very different than that. Um, and so we've got a whole page that breaks down these industries, Barney style, as we used to say in the military, you know, in very simplistic terms. What's you know, Barney is- style? <laughs> something that, uh, you know, something that someone could understand if they've never been exposed to that industry before. Okay. So, you know, if I've never been inside a manufacturing facility, don't tell me what an industrial maintenance tech does. I don't know what industrial maintenance tech is. And so you need to explain, you know, this is what they do. This is their role in the whole organization. These are the things that happen or don't happen because of this specific role. And this is why it's so important. Here's the training required. Um, and at the end of the day, here's the companies in Indiana that we work with, that you have this veteran specific pathway to get hired that are looking for industrial maintenance techs. Um, and if you want to get, if you want to get connected with them, click this button. If you want to go get the education required, uh, to go do this skill set anywhere, you know, here's, here's what you need to go do. Wow. So are you constantly having to expand your website based off of the jobs that are out there? So you're taking something and you're sort of like translating it into quote unquote layman's terms for veterans that are going into the civilian life. So they understand how to equate what they've been doing with something that they could do out in the civilian workforce. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, we don't go through every single job and try and translate it. We pick, you know, the key industries for Indiana and we're constantly expanding that list, you know, going down, down the chain. Um, but we pick the key industries and key career pathways within those industries. And, uh, you know, Indiana, you know, 17% of our workforce is in manufacturing. We're also the fifth largest logistics, uh, state in the country. So, you know, we've got those two powerhouses and then we've got tech and healthcare. And so you can narrow down most jobs into, you know, five to 10 key industries for the most part. That's neat. Um, so I was just, my mind is going 90 miles an hour thinking about this. Right. But tell me where, where do you see this going? Like you've done talks all over the nation, right. About how, Mm -hmm. well, first of all, before you tell me what you're telling other States about how they can do this, obviously it's been successful with Indiana. Mm -hmm. Tell me how, how it's been successful with Indiana, why they love you for this, what you guys have been able to do for the state. Yeah. So, so from the state's perspective, what we've been able to do is take with a relatively small amount of funding. Again, we only have six people 
um, relatively small budget in terms of, you know, any other state agency or, or most state programs, we've been able to open up an entirely new workforce pipeline. So I've gotten to sit in on, you know, I've gotten to present to employers that are deciding whether or not to move to Indiana. You know, I, we get to offer an, a completely new pipeline of talent that other states and other regions are not able to offer. Um, on top of that, we've hit, you know, even despite COVID-19, we've been able to hit every single one of our metrics, our, our goal targets uh, tied to our funding uh, every year since inception back in 2018. Um, and so, yeah, so, and as far as other states go, uh, you know, at the end of the day, so, so we get a lot of our funding from the state of Indiana where, you know, we champion Indiana everywhere we go. But I think in my dream scenario, I think every state should have a program like this. I think it's in the veteran's best interest. You know, states should be fighting over where veterans move when they leave the military and every state should have some version of our program. And, you know, and you can see which program is the best and which approach is best. And um, since we are all legitimately in this for the good of the veteran, uh, we're an open book. You know, I've talked to folks in, in a bunch of other states that are trying to get, either have gotten something like this off the ground uh, and taking a completely different approach or are thinking about something like this and, and we'll tell them anything, you know, we'll tell them our successes, our failures, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, we'll try and help them out as best we can. Is it your dream to get into every state? Do you have a dream? Would you have expansion plans? Like what have you thought about in regards well, to this? So, so given the nature of our funding and our structure, InVets as an entity will not be in any other state. Uh, you know, it's just, it can't expand. The concept can expand, uh, but this entity can't expand. Um, so it's the, a new know, entity. I, with, the, with that being said... Yeah. So, so yeah. So like I said, there's a, there's a handful of other States that are, that are doing this in various forms and some of them are doing it uh, quite well. There's not a lot that are as proactive as we are. So when we go out, like we have people on the ground face to face with veterans all over the country every single week. And usually I, I don't know that I've ever seen a different state there. It's usually just us. Um, uh, but in an ideal scenario, we would see other states, you know, we would, you know, be going up against California and Florida and Texas and all the other states that think they're the best state for veterans. And then we'd get to pitch why they're wrong. That's awesome. Well, you know, I was thinking about Texas, you know, they have a, a huge migration there to Texas and um, they need, they need employees, right? Mm -hmm. um, Florida, we have a thousand families moving here a week, right? Um, we need, we need employees, right? Well, and, and I think a point to bring up too, like Indiana is awesome, but we don't have beaches. We don't have mountains. Um, we've got great communities. Like we, we honestly do, like some of our communities, the place where I live, Carmel, Indiana, usually ranks first, if not close to first and best places to live in the best places to raise a family in the country. Uh, Very family oriented. I was going to say that. Yes. But most people, if you took someone that grew up in California and was stationed in Texas and was about to get out and you asked them, where are you planning on moving? They're usually not saying Indiana, right? Usually they're, they're talking about somewhere else. So if we can be successful in attracting people to Indiana, I think just about any other, any other state uh, could be just as successful. Well, that would be great. Not everybody uh, wants to travel to these states that are getting heavily, densely populated, right? Right. There's going to be a migration towards places like Indiana. Where yeah. do you see this going? Where do you see InVets going within Indiana in the next few years? 
Yeah, so we, uh, I think long-term, I hope to see our budget roughly double. I think that's about max uh, what we would need to, to truly be effective, never having a staff more than maybe 15 full-time people. Um, but we need to get, we need to, you know, I think just about anyone who has a website could give you the giant list of things they wish was better about their website. And so there's definitely improvements that we'd like to make there. Um, and I think ultimately the goal would be to have a truly uh, holistic wraparound approach to veteran services. So that 18 year old kid that gets recruited and goes to basic training, we want to talk to them before they leave. We want to let them know, Hey, whenever you're done with the military, make sure you talk to us. We'll welcome you back. We'll be, we'll be working with you along your military career to help you take the right steps to have the right credentials, have the right experience to get the job you want when you're done and then help them with that transition on the, with that transition on the other end. Uh, and then provide a better handoff to, to all the organizations throughout the state. You know, we're still, we have uh, over 350 employers that we're currently working with that I've signed up and are using our website, but there's a lot more employers out there. And so uh, there's, there's always more work to do. Yeah. That sounds like a real end to end solution though, from the very beginning all mm -hmm. the way to the end, right? It's almost like cradle to grave, but it's the end to end solution for that. Um, what do you need to do to double your budget? <laughs> double your funding. That's a good question. Doubling so, a budget is easy. It's doubling the funding. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so, you know, the state, the state currently, uh, if we could find a match to the state's funding, we would be in really good shape. Um, like I said, we're already, we're already, you know, crushing goals with the budget we have, but to get to that next level, uh, we need some philanthropic funders to come in. We, we, uh, this year, for the first time, actually just as of a couple months ago, really started fundraising from companies directly. Um, we had seed funding from five initial employers, but um, but we've changed our, our revenue model a little bit over these past couple months. And so we'll expand that over next year. So I think it's definitely doable within the next year, year and a half to, to see that doubling. That's great. Yeah, yeah, we need that, especially during this pandemic. We need more good news, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Wes, like, how did you, uh, like, you obviously have a particular mindset and you're very methodical and you listen, you do things like, how did you come along this path? I know you were in the military, right? Mm -hmm. Were you always this sort of methodical thinker and really listening growing up? Like, tell me about Wes. Yeah, I think, um, I think anybody that knows me would say I'm, I'm analytical, uh, maybe to a fault. You know, if I'm, it's not uncommon uh, with my staff or even my wife, if we're, if I'm trying to articulate a concept for me to draw a graph, you know, and, <laughs> and, and plot a distribution curve or something like that of how our, you know, how our interactions are going and where they need to go and, and that type of thing. Um, I probably love things a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, the military, the military definitely played a major role. So I think going into the military, I was a little bit, uh, less driven, maybe. Um, you had a bachelor's degree. So, yep. you believe, so you went to college. Right? I went to college, but my parents always gave me the advice of, you know, college is just a thing on a, you know, a degree is just a thing on a piece of paper. It doesn't matter what your major is. It doesn't matter where it's from, you know, just go get it. You'll figure out what you're going to do later. And so I took a fairly, um, uh, I don't know, non, non, uh, strategic approach uh, to that whole, that whole period of life and then joined the military. And then it radically changed 
the way I think. And, you know, it's surrounded me by it's, it's not necessarily anything that was taught as much as being surrounded by people that were highly motivated, highly competitive, that thought through, you know, contingency after contingency, um, and really put together solid strategic plans. So what was that like? Do, does everybody have that sort of military experience that you have, or how did you get around those people that it was very strategic and all the contingency yeah. plans? So the military in general is that way to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, yeah, I could go on and on with the, the military is one of the most risk averse organizations out there. So, you know, down to every, I mean, at least in my unit, every Friday, they're going to sit there, they're going to gather everyone together and say, okay, here's the things that we told you last Friday, we're going to tell you again, not to do this weekend, right? You know, don't drink and drive, don't do all these things, they're going to go all down the list. And everyone already knows it, but they're going to reiterate. So, you know, it's top of mind. And it's all it's very safety oriented, right? Um, however, for me personally, what made the big, biggest difference? Uh, so I I uh, went through the special forces uh, assessment selection program right when I got in, and I was getting hurt, uh, didn't make it, went regular army, became a sniper, had a great time. But that period of time of about six months, where I was in that pipeline, surrounded by these these top tier individuals that would you know, the type of people that would work 12, 14 hour days, get done and then go decide they were going to go run or study for the next day. You know, they weren't, they weren't satisfied with just the 12 to 14 hour day. They wanted to do whatever they could to be better than the person next to them, um, to do the job just a little bit better. And so that, that really changed the way I think and, and had a lasting impact. I think. Were you, when you were around that, you said you were around that for a good solid six months, day in and day out, right? What was that like for you? in the beginning? Was it just like eye-opening? Like, wow, there, there really are people like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think there were multiple times. I can't even tell you how many times where we were told we were supposed to go do a thing. And I would sit there and think this is impossible. Like this thing, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, this can't possibly be an expectation. And then we would go do it and we would succeed and it would you know, move on to the next thing. And so then you get to the next thing and they tell you that and you're like, now that's really impossible. You know, there's no way we're getting through that thing. And then you would do that. And so it was just a constant cadence of breaking down your, your preconceptions of, of what you were capable of, what your team was capable of, what hard meant, you know, what, uh, what difficult meant. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's a, I don't know if I could put a price tag on having that kind of experience. Yeah. I don't think you could. I bet that's really put you in good stead, not only in your life, but for all the veterans that you're helping now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know I could, you could take, I don't care what company you start, what company you own work for. You could take 10 of those people from that group and you could go tackle just about any problem in your company. They don't need degrees. They don't need to know, you know, any formal training, but they're the type of mentality where if they don't know it, they're going to figure it out and they'll get the job done. They don't know it. They don't figure it out. And they're just going to make it go right. right. Yeah. So there you go. There's your motto. There's yeah. how you came to be who you are. <laughs> what do you do outside of InVets? Do you have any crazy passions or you a devoted dad? What's the deal? Yep. So I've got a wife and two kids, a three-year-old and a soon-to-be two-year-old. So uh, I've spent a lot of time with them trying to make sure I take time to you know, really slow down and enjoy uh, being their dad. So that's a lot of fun. Um, outside of that, it's, it's nothing super exciting. I think I, uh, uh, like I said, I, I think too much. And so I think I 
can't get enough information. So, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of scientific based podcasts. I do random online courses that don't have anything to do with my career. Like what? Career Tell me, that's, cra- that's a crazy passion. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> like what? Tell me. Um, you know, so there's like, there's computer science courses, uh, you know, Harvard has some great online computer science courses, um, that were eye-opening. There's a lot of LinkedIn, uh, courses that, uh, that you can take and, um, a lot of them, I don't know, getting my real estate license, you know, just random, random things that, you know, may or may not use down the road, but either way, I at least want to know about it. Yeah. Collecting it. Well, that I would call that a crazy passion. Yeah. Sure. And it fits with you. It's very, it's almost like very strategic and fits with you. I contingency plan. I might need this one day. Has any of like the, the Harvard courses, anything helped you with InVets? Like, oh yeah, I could use this here. Sure. I mean, yeah, in little ways. I mean, I think, you know, so our website, uh, you know, I basically do the product management ownership of, of our website and our, our web tool and everything, but we have, um, we have third-party vendors that actually do the coding and the building, but, you know, being able to drop terms like Boolean logic and stuff like that in, in <laughs> meetings, I think catches them off guard from time to time. <laughs> I think so. Like, wow, this guy is smart. We need to really work with him. <laughs> yeah, you are smart. So how do people get a hold of you? Mm-hmm. Um, how do they find you? How do they find more about, uh, you know, in vets and for military vets, just give me the whole gamut of how they would reach you. Sure. So our website is invets.org. So that's I N for Indiana vets for veterans, uh, .org, invets.org. Uh, our emails are super simple. So my email is just Wes at invets.org. Uh, but LinkedIn is a good thing too. Uh, we utilize LinkedIn like crazy. Um, uh, yeah, Westwood, you can look me up there as well. Awesome. Okay. Wes, this has been really informative. You've helped me out a lot. I'm now learning now. I'm, my wheels are turning. I'm thinking a lot about things. I didn't know this about the whole veteran ecosystem community. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much for giving us all your insight on this. Well, thank you so much, KJ. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for listening to the Disruption Interruption podcast, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.